today. Praise God. It's great to see all of you here this morning. Man, I, I would love to ask the Lord for weather like this if I could get you out every Sunday. That would be amazing. So thank all of you for coming. And they're going to set some things up. And while they're setting some things up, I'm going to give you just a little bit of humor. Okay? It's been a few weeks since I gave you some humor. So there were these two elderly ladies. And uh, pretty much all of their life, they lived on the farm, stayed on the farm, did everything they needed on the farm. The farm had everything they needed. But they decided they wanted to go to this convention in New York City. So they went to this convention in New York City. They parked at this very nice hotel, got out at this very nice hotel, and they walked in and they see this elevator. They had never seen an elevator before. I mean, they had always lived on the farm and they're just mesmerized at this elevator. So they, they see this elderly man. He's bald. You know, he's, he's older and he's not all that great looking. And he gets on the elevator and he goes up. They're just, again, they're just stunned. They've never seen anything like this in their life. So they're just still standing there. The elevator comes down and out walks this six foot four buffed nice looking full head of hair dude and they're just mesmerized and the ladies both say children go get your father <laughs> today i want to talk to you about things unseen i'm going to talk about things unseen are you ready for the word of the lord God bless you. You can be seated. I don't know about you, but here in the past couple of years, I've often wondered why that God seems to allow opposition to come against us. And it seems like that so much of our time and energy, and effort, and money, and resources seem to go to waste in this whole thing we call waiting and opposition. And I've really asked some questions, searching for answers. Lord, why do you allow what feels like so much opposition to come against us when we are just trying to do good. Have you ever felt that way? That you would think that if I'm really trying to do good, I'm trying to advance God's kingdom, both spiritually and physically, that God would just really come to my aid and not allow opposition. He would help me because after all, I'm trying to advance the kingdom. So I've really been looking for answers. And I think that maybe perhaps I haven't found all of the answers, but maybe I've found at least one that you can kind of wrap your mind around. And some clues start 
really coming to us in the book of Nehemiah. So if you haven't read the book of Nehemiah, if you're new to the faith, I would encourage you maybe to go home and read it. I'm going to just highlight some things from the book. So there's this man, his name is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is what is known as the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. And that's a weird name, but that was the king's name, Artaxerxes. And he was the cupbearer, and this doesn't mean a lot to us, but back in ancient days, the cupbearer was a very important person. Because there were a lot of assassination attempts on kings' lives, poisoning their food. So the cupbearer was the person that was responsible to drink what the king was about to drink and to taste the food the king was about to taste. It's really good for the king because if there was poison, you died first. So it was a very trusted position that not only he would taste the food, but he himself would not be the one poisoning the food. So this was a prestigious position that Nehemiah had. And because Nehemiah was constantly before the king, he really started to get to know Nehemiah. I mean, he, he knew his facial expressions. He knew his nonverbal skills because they were together a lot. And because he really knew Nehemiah, one day he looks and he can tell that Nehemiah is saddened. His facial expressions show that he is saddened. And the king looks at him and he says, Nehemiah, why, why are you so sad? What, what's up? And Nehemiah said, King, because back at my home in Jerusalem, the walls have been broken down. And he said, I'm saddened because, because the walls are broken down and I really have a desire to go back and to rebuild these walls for my people, for their safety, for their protection. And so the king actually granted him like three things. As you read in the book of Nehemiah, you will find that he said, okay, I'm going to give you a leave of absence. I'm also going to give you building permits and I'm going to give you military escort for you to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild this wall. And that's exactly what happened. He went back, gathered up the people, and they started rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah 4 and verse 6 says this, paraphrasing, things were going well. They were getting things done. They were getting work done. The wall was coming up. So it was all going really good. And then here's what happens. Two men enter the story. One's name is Sanballat. The other name is Tobiah. And these two men, they really came against Nehemiah. And why did they do that? There's a reason. Because these men remember back in the day, the Jewish regional dominance. And they remembered how strong that Jerusalem was. And because of that, a rebuilt Jerusalem wall meant 
a national Jewish resurrection. And because there would be a national Jewish resurrection, they were determined to keep that tomb closed. They did not want to see the resurrection of the Jewish community. So with that, they tried everything. These men, they jeered at them. They made fun of them. They laughed at them. They threatened attacks. They planned assassinations. And they intimidated the local Jewish families. They even threatened to go to Artaxerxes and tell him that Nehemiah had a treacherous plot against him for him to be assassinated. But the Bible says that none of their plans worked. And in Nehemiah 2 and 8, it says the good hand of God was with them. So Sanballat and all of his cronies did whatever they could do to slow down the Jews' progress. And half of Nehemiah's construction crew, the Bible tells us that half of them worked with a trial in their hand, rebuilding the wall, and the other had a sword in their hand, protecting the builders. Now, if you were to think about if God were to give Nehemiah favor with the king, then how come he didn't give him favor with Sanballat and Tobiah. If he's big enough to give favor on the one side, how come he's not big enough to give it on the other side? Because you and I both know that if the workers are rested, have the resources they needed, and not afraid that the enemy's going to come in at night and attack them, then rested workers can get more done. Do you agree with that? But these people were having to stay up, many of them, all night because they were afraid that attacks were coming. So most likely that means they were not rested. And so why did God allow so much time, energy, and money to seemingly go to waste? Brothers and sisters, here's what you and I must understand. That the way we think And the way God thinks is totally different. And if you do not get that foundational principle in your life, you're going to be very frustrated on your journey. Because it, it can actually look like that God is working sometimes against you instead of for you. Because God does not think the way we think. And I want to do my best just to come alongside you and explain something. In God's economy, the way that God was thinking in this particular story is that none of these resources, not time, not energy, not effort, not money, that none of it was wasted in the building. Because something far more important was just being built other than a city wall. God was building faith in the hearts of his people. This is very important. A rebuilt city and faithless people 
would not please God. The wall is important, but having faith in the hearts of his people were more important. And history has shown throughout history, it has shown that a strong wall does not save unless the Lord watches over the city. And so you can have a wall, but have faithless people. You can have a wall, but you can have people serving idols. And though the wall is important, it's more important that we put our faith in God instead of putting our faith in a wall. So as Nehemiah and the people worked to rebuild the wall, God was actually working through opposition to build their faith and to build their understanding in his power rather than in their own power. Because while God appreciates buildings, they are only what you see, but what he is more in, invested in is what you cannot see. And so while the building is important, then God sees it as faith is more important. And so God allows that, that your faith to be tested by difficulty and by trials and by opposition and by things coming against you because he wants you to understand that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you can have the building, but not have the faith. You can have the saving, but not have the savior. You can seek the healing, but not the healer. And so what God wants is for you and I to be seeking him first. Nehemiah and the people were building a wall with time and energy and sweat and money but God was building faith and God builds faith not so much in the in the prosperity of your life but sometimes God builds faith in the adversity of your life sometimes when you're very prosperous you can start to forget the goodness of God and where it came from and you can start getting pride that I did this and God says uh oh you didn't do that because every good gift comes down from the father of lights in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning I want to talk to you this morning on things not seen See, the testing is where we learn to walk by faith and not by sight. It's where the testing, the difficulty, the opposition is where we all learn more about what we can't see than what we can see. Here's a story that I want to tell you in the Bible it's actually recorded in three different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 9, Jesus uh, tells the story, and I'm going to just highlight it to you. story is about the rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And I want to just kind of act it out just a minute to hopefully keep your attention, but... Bible doesn't say this, but just give me a little freedom. Jesus is walking on the road 
with his disciples, probably teaching as he's walking. And this rich young man walks up to him, probably kneels down. And he just looks at him and he says, um, teacher, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, well, son, to inherit eternal life, you need to keep the commandments. And he gives him in Matthew 16 and 9, about six different commandments. The young man hears this. He looks up at Jesus and says, I, I've done all that. Done that. And Jesus probably looks at him and says, that's good. But there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have Give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. I can't prove this in Scripture. Just bear with me. I think that when the man heard that, he probably dropped his head and never looked Jesus in the eye. And he probably began to walk away. Now here's where Jesus comes back. And he says, disciples, I want you to understand something. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. They looked at him because they were astonished because the Jews' belief, their underlining belief was, if God is for us, we're going to be blessed financially. And so they're really astonished. They're, they're like taken back because that's their fundamental belief. And so then Jesus looks at them and here, here's what he says, but with God, all things are possible. Now here's, here's the heart of the story that I, I want to draw out for you. I think Jesus was basically paraphrasing. I can paraphrase him because I think what he was saying is this, is that earthly prosperity is really fool's gold. And money's power had so blinded this young man that when Jesus held out the real treasure... He couldn't take the real treasure and exchange it for the counterfeit because his eyes were so focused on what he could see. Brothers and sisters, money is neutral. It's absolutely neutral. Money has no power on its own. Money only has the power you give it. And money can be used for good or it can be used for evil. And I don't believe, in fact, we don't have another story like this in the gospel. I believe that because that's where that young man's heart was at, 
God went to the heart of the problem. I can't prove this, but it's what I believe. I honestly believe that if the man would have been willing to give up his treasure, knowing the nature of God, God would have probably given him double. But he could not let go of what he could see to reach for what he couldn't see. And this right here is only temporal. But what God was trying to get him to see was what was eternal. Mm. I feel the Holy Spirit on me right now. Mm. Here, here's the lesson, ladies and gentlemen. Idols are not to be toiled with. Because little things do grow bigger if you don't slay the idols in your life. See, what, what you can't see is maybe you gave $17 this morning. But if you gave it like this, God sees the motive. So if you gave $17 or $1,700, thank you for both. And that matters, right? Because money's important. But what is more important is the motive in which we give it. Because the motive can't be seen. See, this is why all of you, you really do look cute this morning. You look very nice, and I mean that. Thank you for looking very nice. But God looks beyond the nice suit and the nice tie and the nice clothes. God is looking at what can't be seen. And He's looking at the heart, which nobody but Him can see. Why? Because things unseen are more important than things that are seen. Are you with me? Oh my God, I didn't turn my phone on this morning, so I'm going to preach a long time today. Help me, sweet Jesus. You can take a baseball bat and you can do some damage to a person that takes them six months to recover. But you can take your words that you cannot see and you can scar them for life. And they may forgive, but they don't ever forget what was spoken. People never forget how you make them feel. And we can take what is not seen with our words and we can do damage. We can bring about hurt or we can bring about life. The same thing with money. We can bless the kingdom of God or we can use it for evil purposes. And the choice is all in our heart. What we cannot see. And this is the reason why it is so important to say, God, I want the right motives. Even when I'm doing something for you that looks good, I want my heart to be good. I want my heart to be good while I'm doing good. I want to do it not so somebody can see me do it. But the scripture says that if you'll go into the closet in secret, that your father which sees you in secret will reward you openly. So you might feel this morning that you are in a fiery trial according to 1 Peter 4 and 12 because Get this, this is very important. It's going to come up on the screen. You're being asked to die to what you once believed would bring you life. I hope they put that up on the screen. In other words, most of us think, man, if I could just be rich, I have life. 
And Jesus was letting the young man know, it's not in what you can see that makes you rich, Bubba. Your condition on earth can be very poor, but your position in heaven is secure. You are seated with Christ. You may not have even come in here with $2 this morning. As a person without $2, you may feel like, man, I'm broke. But let me just tell you, if God has ever taken that old black heart and washed it in his red blood, and you've been baptized in his name and filled with the Spirit, you're rich. Because you got things money can't buy. Come on, somebody. Jesus was offering this man a priceless gift. If he would do what? Just trust him. Just trust him. The problem is when money is all that we can see. And God wants our attention on things unseen. Here's a great quote from Jonathan Edwards. I hope it comes up on the screen. He says, in truth, we can't, in truth, what can't be seen in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. Because behind every, behind every behavior, there's a belief. Because when I hold on to money, it means that really this is what I'm trusted in more than God. And though we don't like to say that, right? Because that don't sound too good. But the reality is, is when I hold on to my money, it, what it really means is I'm not trusting in Him. And the Lord is really wanting me to die to everything that I'm putting my trust in with what my eye can see. And He's wanting me to live in the things that I cannot see. Why? How do we live, Pastor, then more by faith? We slay the idol of focusing on what we can only see. How come the enemy has come against our building? Much like the enemies came against Jerusalem when Nehemiah was trying to build the wall. This is very key, brothers and sisters. If you don't understand this, you're going to stay frustrated in your walk. The enemy brings opposition in hopes to destroy your confidence and your faith in God. God uses the opposition to increase your faith and your confidence in God. Because God, though He appreciates what you do for the kingdom... He never wants you to have pride in what you do. He always wants his reputation to be magnified in the earth so that you are not saying, look at what I have done, but rather you are saying, look at what God has done. So the enemy is more concerned about the power of things unseen. In other words, we can't see the blood, but we believe when the blood is applied, sins are cleansed. We can't see the actual circumcision of the heart. So, so the law is all about what you can see. And I'm not going to get graphic, 
but I need you to understand something. Circumcision was something you could actually see. It was the cutting of the flesh of the male. You could see that. But baptism is circumcision in that it cuts sin from the heart. You can't see that. The law was all about what you could see. The spirit is about all what you can't see. So when a man and a woman come together in marriage and they are intimate, they bear the fruit of a child, which is what you can see. When you and Christ come together, you bear the fruit of what you can't see. And that is the fruit of the spirit. You can't see love, but you can feel it. You, you don't necessarily can't wrap your hand around this is joy, but you know when you got it. Amen. Come on, somebody. Here's what the enemy is always trying to get us to do. He's trying to get us to grab a peel that we can see. And by the way, this is just Advil. But the point that I want to make, not that I want to... I'm not here to try to make you feel like you're in a third grade Sunday school class. I just want to show you. Here's what the enemy tries to get us to do. Constantly reach for what we can see. Oh, I'll take this peel when really what we need is peace. I'm going to take this money so I can buy me. Y'all forgive me. This is pitiful. But I'm going to take this money so I can buy me a house. But what I really need is to make where I'm at a home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this money and I'm going to, sorry again, buy me a vehicle. I'm going to show TPC that I'm blessed and nothing wrong with that. Roll up here in a Rolls Royce if you want to. That's fine with me. Don't have a problem. The point is, understand that how wealthy you are does not make you valuable in God's eyes. That, that does, oh man, he's a millionaire. Woo, he's wealthy. No, that doesn't make you valuable in God's eyes. So don't tie your self-worth to your net worth because God doesn't tie your self-worth to your net worth. God says you're valuable because you're a human being and he came to the cross to die for you whether you roll up here in a nice truck or you roll up here in a bondo buggy. Doesn't matter to God. But I'm going to tell you what we reach for. We reach for our phone. Instead of fearing God more than we fear boredom. That went over like a crochet bathtub. Where the enemy gets us to reach for what we can see. Are you with me? In other words, let's, let's reach for happiness instead of reaching for joy. Make sense? Let, let's reach for what is temporal when God really wants us to reach for what's eternal. I'm talking this morning about things that you can't see. 
We can't see when somebody goes down in the name of Jesus. But what is happening is, is their sins are being cut away from their heart. And they're rising up in the name of Jesus that gives them power over sin and Satan and sickness and disease. We don't necessarily, I think I have seen some people be born again in the spirit and I've seen the joy come on their face. So I have actually seen what I thought was being born again, but sometimes you don't see it. But let me tell you, when somebody is born again, the Bible says all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. Why? Because what you can't see is more important than what you can see. Are you with me? So this building, ladies and gentlemen, is being built as a place where the sick can be healed. It's being built as a place where lives can be restored. It's being built for life transformation. The building that you're going to see is actually to serve purposes that we can't see. And so man will look at the building. But God is looking at what's going to happen in the building. And the enemy for the last two years has been opposing the building in hopes of destroying what can't be seen. And then you have to understand that God in turn uses the opposition to build our faith. To realize it wasn't about what we did anyway. He's building our faith in what he can do in his power. And again, this is very important to understand. Why does the enemy oppose us? And how does God use that opposition to build us up? The enemy will bring opposition against your stuff. Give me a couple minutes. In other words, the enemy brings opposition against your car, but it's not because he wants your car because spirits don't drive. What he wants is he wants to frustrate you. The enemy don't need your house because he ain't going to get your house to put a for sale sign up so he can hopefully make a profit and put it in his pocket. He don't need your money. The enemy may attack your money, but he don't need your money because spirits don't go around using your money to trade for goods and services. So the enemy attacks everything you can see in hopes of getting what you can't see. Well, if God was for me, the devil wouldn't have gotten my carburetor. And if God was for me, I wouldn't have had any damage in the hurricane. Okay. Y'all got to get this. Fire and storms can destroy this. But it can't destroy the love that was in this house. And it can't destroy the relationships that were built in this house. Right? The enemy is trying to oppose the building because he knows what happens in the building is eternal. So the enemy can't destroy the worship that happens in this house. And the enemy can't destroy communion that happens with God in this house. And the enemy can't destroy the prayers that happen in this house. Here's what Henry Ford said. Take my factories and burn my buildings, but give me my people and I'll build it back again. 
Here's what God is saying. Take the house, take the car, but if I can keep the love and the joy and the peace in my people, they'll come marching right back because they know. Man, I'm trying to quit preaching. But listen, if you're new and, and you, you've never read the book of Job, I would encourage you to read the book of Job, but read it literally in the New Living Translation. Because here's what happened. The devil took his house. The devil took his car. The devil took his kids. The devil took his cell phone. Just joking. The devil took everything he had. He just wiped it off the planet. But he wasn't interested in any of that. Because after it was all said and done, the devil wasn't going to move into Job's house. The devil didn't need his money. He didn't need his cell phone, baby. He was trying to get his confidence and his faith and his trust that God loved him through the storm, through the fire, through the wind and through the rain, that God was still for him. And there's something about God is saying, I want, I want to see what you trust in. Do you trust more in this? Or do you trust that I'm a good God? What are you trusting in? Come on, somebody. Can I get a witness in this room? I'm going to wrap this up. I got to quit. I want our singers and musicians to come on up. I, I got to stop. See, the culture of this world, and I'm closing, the culture of this world tells you you're only valuable if you have all this. So to be carnal doesn't mean that you're bad. To be carnal means that you are walking after the flesh. It means you're walking after everything that you can see, touch, taste, and feel. To be spiritually minded means that you're walking not by what your eye can see, but what you know in the Spirit. This morning... I woke up very early, as I typically do on Sundays. And I didn't feel saved. I didn't feel a goosebump. I didn't feel much of anything other than I was still pretty tired. But I did stand up and I started walking, drinking my coffee. And here's what I said. Lord, I don't really feel saved but I know you love me. And I don't really feel righteous, but I know I've been clothed in your righteousness. So even though I don't feel a lot, I stand in the courts of heaven qualified for everything that you have for me today. And when I step on that stage, I'm not going to step up there to impress. Help me to bless your people through your word. Here's the transition, brothers and sisters, that I'm trying to get this church to transition to. Here it is. Guess what? You can't just tie a lemon on a tree and call it a lemon tree. Fruit takes time. What I'm wanting all of us to do is to abide in the process because the process is what organically brings the fruit. And when you abide in the vine, 
the fruit is going to show up. But the enemy will try to get you to run and grab everything that you can see. But what's going to radically change your life is the fruit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, self-control. Everything that you can't see is way more powerful than what you can see. But the enemy is trying to get you to live a one-dimensional life. Would you stand with me? If you're with me, say amen. Amen. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know this when you walk out of this building. That the unseen is more powerful than what you can see. I want you to know that. Here's what I want you to see. That the enemy uses opposition to destroy your faith and confidence in God. And God uses that very opposition to build your faith and confidence in knowing that there's no way I could do this. Only God could have done this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about, here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to think about giving more of your time to what you can't see than giving your time to what you can see. I'm going to be very clear. Do I appreciate every dollar that every one of you gave this morning? Yes, I do. Because those dollars are helping us to build a building. Just like Nehemiah wanted to build the wall. Was it important? Yes. But it was more important what was happening behind the wall than the wall itself. Did they need a wall? Yes, they did. For what? For protection from their physical enemies. So do we need a building? Yes. What do we need the building for? A space where life transformation can happen. Where people can come from all races, colors, creeds, social economic backgrounds and they can feel loved and accepted and wanted regardless of where they come from or who they are. We want when we walk into this building not to be weighted down with the cares of this life but Jesus said my yoke is easy and my burden is light and I want you to have joy and delight in serving me not another burden that I got to carry. We want the power of God to be so strong in the house that you are literally healed of your diseases. So here's here's Bible and and I'll, I'll be done. The Bible says this, that Jesus grew in favor with God and with man. So go ahead and get your degrees. 
We love education. But you can have 72 degrees, and I don't know that it really impresses God. But get them, because it impresses man. So I'm not against education. I'm not against money. I'm not against you having a hot rod. Not against you having a house on a hill. But what we all want more of is fruit that only grows when we stay connected to Him. Because you can be in the midst of a very bad situation and the enemy tries to get you to get a peel. But if you got peace, you can say, I don't know how I'm coming out, but I just have a peace knowing I'm coming out. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I just have a peace knowing somehow God's going to make a way. And I'm going to tell you, you can buy a pill, but you can't buy peace. You can buy happiness, but you can't buy joy. You can, you can, you can, you can have a lot of lust, but you can't buy love. I'm talking today about things unseen. Live more of your life in that rim than you are this rim. Would you do that? I want you to go this week thinking about how can I really start living more in the rim of what is unseen and let this be secondary. They're going to sing. And what I would ask you to do is before you just dart out, just take a minute and do inventory and say, Lord, I just want to make sure that nothing that I do see has more of my heart than what can't be seen. Would you do that? Before you dart out of this building, before you just run out and go eat wherever, would you just do a little inventory?